conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today. I'd rather buy that dress than your bullshit. <laughs> okay. Um, I may be a shrink, but there is nothing small about my personality. Oh, hey! <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. It's Andy's Girls. It's episode 204. And I am so excited to be in the Andy's Girls Clubhouse, introduced to someone that I have heard speak on Clubhouse Clubhouse, who I am so thrilled to be here on the People's People's Couch. You guys, it's none other than Dr. Monica O'Neill, Harvard-trained psychologist, relationship expert, TV and film consultant specializing in matters pertaining to race, social good, mental health, and of course, everyone's favorite counselor on Camp Getaway, Dr. Monica. What <laughs> the best intro ever. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Yes, I hi. Like, hi, hello. I like to set up co host for success. You I know mean, what I'm it. saying? I love Listen. it. I'm a fan of it. Let's I'm into it. I was just saying before we started to record how beautiful you look and your, which we'll get to maybe at the end of the episode and your makeup and your glow. Meanwhile, I literally was like, let me put on the nice hoodie. (laughs) (laughs) But what we also, I told you, I am definitely not wearing a bra and that's kind of like a tall order girl with 32 triple D's. Uh, you know, we're just going to be feel free. <laughs> yeah, we are free flowing in every way. I have to say I'm a um a B, but mm-hmm. I show 90%. So people always think that I'm like, very. it's like, no, guys, I'm just literally like literally giving you just a nice, I, I believe in sharing. Like a little everything. bit of decolletage, like just the perfect. Just like a little, yeah. And I wear a lot of vintage style dresses. I do oh, like, a, what, I mean, like the, the way. Waist is snatched. 
Yes. And like gotcha. the hourglass and the whatever. And, you know, like back when clothing. <laughs> when it wasn't PJs, braless and sweaters or hoodies, right? Truly where I'm and I'm now just changing one set of PJs for the other. There's the PJs to run to the C-Town across the street to see if they have quarters, except there's a quarter shortage because there's a pandemic. And then there's the PJs inside. So it's like and then there's the PJs I wear when I do laundry, where it's like, how many holes can be in this anthropology loungewear from 13 years ago? I don't know. It's a fun guessing game. I don't have that many for the PJs. I just for me, the thing that you know, the thing that I feel like is the biggest like scam of this entire pandemic when it comes to shopping everything oh yeah, yeah but the fact that sweatpants now are so expensive do you do okay here's the thing this is part of my psychosis we'll get into this you're a harvard trained <laughs> psychologist we'll unpack it i don't do pants the only pants i wear are old flywheel like and and spanx actually has amazing like fake leather leggings oh pants, i have a pair of those yeah they're great that's but I don't do sweatpants. I don't, I have like a pair of jeans that I haven't worn. I don't do, I don't, I'm not a pants person. I have always been skirts, but really dresses. Like I'm Wait, a are your psycho. dresses then? Yeah. Oh. Like literally, you can't see it. Cause it's gonna, it's like literally <laughs> this big blush baby pink. Like I mean, whatever. Listen, the I like to go commando. So it's like, it's a little oh. Wearing like pants or sweatpants and stuff like that, you know. I mean, I like to go commando around my house, right? But like, I mean, sometimes in real life too, especially now, you know. I mean, we believe in revealing it all in life, spiritually, yeah. for the people on the street. We're like, connect with me. I mean, my hoodie is taking you out of our spiritual connection. Right. Exactly. I mean, like, I'm an open book. I really think that shaman um, hair extension stylist on Dallas would be all in on this conversation. I mean, I I'm telling you know, I actually have, I like pre pandemic once a month, one of my girlfriends and I, like one of my good girlfriends, she and I would always do this like crystal bowls meditation with this. <gasps> and I've done it for like the last like six or seven years. I have to tell you, yeah. nothing brings me more joy. Again, pre-pandemic, yeah. it's like the starting. Just guys, asterisk. Anything that we say that's fun, it's like just assume that happened before <laughs> March 2020. Cool, it's pre Anything that brings joy with no strings attached. Um, I love a sound bath. I've done it. I did a sound bath in Miami where the room changed colors Ooh. during the sound bath, crying. Oh, I, I did a sound bath in a... um hammock in Brooklyn pre-pandemic which was oh. wonderful although I went with a guy situation and it was oh, like I was very gosh. I was like trying to like connect but then I was like very distracted by being in a hammock and then I got lost in the hammock and then I was like and again and I was in a insane lace dress so then I was like getting lost in the hammock and then I was like oh my god I'm gonna flash everybody including this guy who's already <laughs> seen it <laughs> I like come out of it What's going to happen? Oh my not exactly God. relaxing, but I know I love those. I mean, that's actually kind of the interesting thing about that Dallas episode is I actually connected with a lot of what he was doing and I trusted his intention. Yeah. He really, he really felt connected where it didn't feel like malarkey to use the word of our uh, president Biden. it really felt like something 
that he was doing because he himself believed in it where right. it wasn't like the bullshit of it all, which right. I actually really appreciate it. Right, right, right. Yeah, even the way that he responded to like their shade, you could tell that mm-hmm. he was like, like in, almost in a, in a space to be able to like rise above it. You know, he wasn't, cha- he didn't feel overly challenged. He just kind of went with it. Yeah, you could totally tell his intentions were, you know, were true and great. I mean, I loved, I love doing it. I think it's great. You know, um, I truly believe in like <clears throat> the experiences of like the the need and balance for your like of your chakras. I mean, you know, red is actually one of my favorite colors, and I have surprisingly a large number of shoes that are red. And I, you know, later I realized that in some ways it's because I really am like into like the idea of being grounded in like a root chakra. And if you feel less grounded, you should actually start wearing more red and actually have red shoes. This is something I found out after I had already bought like a. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Is pink a thing? I have a lot of pink. Like, pink is like a red family. So it's like, you know, okay. I guess if you were to look at it like from the idea of feng shui, I think pink is a thing. So what are you doing during the pandemic in which to find some spiritual red? Like, what are you doing that makes you feel safe and comfortable where you're able to, because you're providing a lot of that support and comfort to a lot of people. Where are you getting your own? Well, so I get it from a couple of different places, you know, like in the mornings, I do try to like read a devotional. I try to find some, I mean, I'm, Mm. I'm I'm Southern, I'm black. So you can imagine I grew up Christian and Baptist, Mm. Um, you know, and Mm. so like, I believe in God. I don't believe in God in the way that like I was raised to believe in God. I'm probably much more agnostic or universalist. So I try to find Mm -hmm. like devotionals that are more about like kindness and love and good and joy. And so I read, I do, I have like a couple of different, um, you know, devotions I read every morning when I wake up. Um, I use my happy light, you know, like to do light therapy so that I can. What's a happy light? Oh my God, it's the best. The happy light really actually keeps, I can tell the difference of when I have like gotten, you know, slack with using my happy light. So it literally is like a little thing that you do, you use for um, light therapy. It's amazing. (gasps) There's all different types of companies that will try to sell you a bag of goods, but Happy Light to me has been really very effective throughout this entire pandemic. And what do you do? It's like a light that changes color? No, it's just a white light that you sit with relatively close for about half an hour. You can, the most, like now it's, now that the times have changed, I could probably go down, but during the thick of winter, you do it for an hour. And I just, in the morning I'll sit and I'll do my devotionals. Sometimes I do a five minute loving kindness meditation, depending on where my headspace is, but you know, I'll use the happy light while I'm like drinking coffee, answering emails, doing a little online shopping because, you know, Amazon, um, you know, it's also like a bit of church for me, you know, unfortunately, you know, when did I buy, when did I buy that? You know, so like Mm -hmm. that is also a thing. Um, and you know, and like the other thing is I truly believe in laughing. Like I laugh a lot at myself. I laugh with people. So if I'm really kind of in a slump, that's when I find myself like scrolling through like the most ridiculous shit online. And I just Mm. laugh and laugh and laugh and that helps. And, you know, and, and honestly, like I, you know, having like really being a real like crew person with camp, I have like a huge, huge camp is what we call ourselves a group of friends from camp that like, we are very supportive and loving and caring. So it's like one of them, we do, we watch like different shows together and talk about it. So it's like, I try to do a lot of things that are fun that help me have a good time. You know, when it comes, I try to, I'm very aware of how I'm feeling and I don't fight it. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to get up and do exercise. I'd like to do that. 
but it's like, sometimes I'm just like, this day sucks, you know? And, you know, I mean, I feel like people are always asking me like, oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? How am I doing? What's going on? What do you mean? What's going on? Nothing's going on. I live in Boston. It's been winter. And it's like, mm. like what the hell are you, you know, nothing's going on, you know? So it's like, it's been like a, when I say a joyless year, that doesn't mean that like nothing has been, joy- but it's like, for the most part, it's been a joyless year. I am happy. I'm content. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of an introvert in some, in many ways, I'm an extroverted introvert. So this has not been the worst thing in the world for me. I have a crazy little dog who like also helps, mm. but you know, like for the most part, I just try to focus on like being, you know, like on the idea of like loving kindness, um, you know, and just like trying to have a sense of humor about most things. And honestly, like I'm one of those lucky people that like my work is really like my purpose and I love what I do. So it's like, I, you know, what I do is like so meaningful in terms of what it gives to people. And there's a real connection that like, I don't ever end the day, like feeling like I had a bad work day. Isn't that mm-hmm. how it's too? I believe so strongly in mental health care and so strongly that I just, just as a gift to the world, have appointments with my therapist and psychologist every week. And they know so much about Bravo that they have never thought about knowing ever before. Like I've brought up Ramona shit. I mean like Potomac. I think there's probably a moratorium on Potomac at this point where they're like, we cannot, we can't, we, 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 we I bet your therapist probably watches all of the shows. She a hundred percent does not. She's seen one episode because of me of New York, not picked by me, but it was like Ramona as Britney stuff. And she's, she was sort of concerned when she was summarizing it. And I was like, that's okay. Let's just like, let's just pretend. Let's just pretend that you love it and it's going to be great. And even if you don't, you understand my love for it. And it's like very connected to how I experience things and an outlet. And I, mean, focus. I don't know. I'm going to, I don't know. Maybe uh, you, you don't think Amy, I think if I you're think listening, which you're not. watches a little bit more reality TV than what you're, because you know, like if you think about it, like what we, like the natural state, and I'm going to get a little Freudian here. You want to go with me? Oh, please okay. let's do it. So the natural state of what we do as therapists is we're kind of voyeurs. We're taking in the most intimate kind of naked like experience of other people so we're paying attention we're listening we're taking it in while we're still kind of like you know clothed in a way like I'm talking about like you know um not literally I'm talking figuratively right we're like watching this like thing we're taking in your life so like by the actual like virtue of what we do there's something very voyeuristic about it and there is something very voyeuristic about watching reality television so I actually like and a ton of my friends, like a ton of my friends, even from graduate school, like, you know, when reality TV was like still kind of getting its legs, like back in the day, like flavor of love and all that other stuff. Mm. Like, you know, we all watched reality TV, like we would talk about it. And like, I just, so for me, I'm just kind of like, you know, if you're a therapist who hasn't watched it or doesn't watch these mm-hmm. shows, probably because you just are like, I don't have a television I read. And honestly, I'm one of those people that's like, I have a television and I read sometimes. <laughs> that's me. I mean, we watch these women reading each other. And I think that's <laughs> very close. That's, that's right. I would rather read. Yes, I'd, I'd rather read like that. How does being a psychologist influence your perspective watching these shows and watching them as so many people do as an outlet especially during this year and years of so much chaos like has it changed in the last couple years are you able to ever 
detach from your core being, which is obviously and so successfully focused on being a voyeur, but also trying to like really further understand and translate the behavior that you're seeing on screen? Like, are you ever able to disconnect from that since you do that so much and And just enjoy it? Or is a part of the enjoyment being that voyeur and being that translator? Right. Yeah. Like you, yeah. Like the voyeur part of it is like, there's pleasure that comes from watching. Mm -hmm. I absolutely Mm -hmm. do that. And I, you know, now having been on the other side of it too, I'm also aware of how stories are put together. And even though on some level I knew about that, so it's like I can watch it and I can watch it and laugh at it and I can watch it and be, and be curious about what was the whole conversation and what was mm-hmm. this actually like, you know. Um, and so, like, in some ways, my experience has made it like, it, it sometimes it, it's made it a little bit harder to just kind of solely laugh, but I still appreciate mm-hmm. it. Like, again, part of my own, like, therapy, my own religious kind of experience is being able to laugh and have a good time. So I have friends, literally, we will hate watch certain shows. When I say hate watch, meaning like where you're just like the shadiest texters, having the oh, best yeah. talking so much trash. Love. Although we know, like they all know based on like the experience that I had that like, you know, that you have no control over the stories that are told and how they're put together. And so like, I do give people a lot of grace when I watch it, but when shit's mm-hmm. funny, it's funny. What was your experience like being a, a Bravo lab? Well, so, you know, it's interesting. We, you know, all of our stuff happened in the midst of this pandemic, right? Yeah. So we like, you know, I think I, it would have been, you know, there's a part of me that feels like I wish that we had had the full on experience of yeah. like, being able to have the show, you know, premiere and like, and I think for people to be able to stay focused on the show, the way that most shows, especially in their first year out, have a lot of attention and have a lot of time. And so... I, you know, I've never done this before. So it's like, I was excited to see it. I mean, I had been like, since like the very kind of beginning of the show, like in its development, since I had already been working at camp. So like, mm-hmm. for me, it been it was kind of like one of those things that I felt very, you know, attached to in terms of like wanting it to work and wanting it to work well. And mm-hmm. like, and like seeing it as a collective thing, not just so much of like, I didn't see it as like an opportunity for me to be a star, unfortunately, you know, I'm not unfortunately for me, but I know that that wasn't everybody's perspective of it. Okay. So like, you know, I kind of wanted us to win collectively and we didn't have a chance to do that. And that was kind of a bummer. And I, you know, and I think that if like, if somehow like there was a way to have figured out how to do it, my senses maybe would have gotten a second shot because these, you know, most shows really do take a season or two to kind of get, you know, the kinks hammered out. And Mm -hmm. um, I, and and I think that um, it would have been nice to have a second season. You know, I mean, I'm going to go to camp still this summer. You should come. Oh, wow. It's so much fun. You should come. Like, you know, I think uh-huh. especially by the second half of summer, you know, when most people are going to be like vaccinated. It is okay. so fun. I actually think that there should be a full on blog, like Bravo bloggers weekend. I think you guys would have the best time of your life. Real? I don't, I haven't. You can wear all the dresses and skirts okay. you want. Really good. You can have the cutest little like skirted bathing suit that you can and like do the full on fifties vibe. I mean, you should see yes. the full again. Like that's all it is, right? You know, it's like definitely that like sexy fifties vibe. I get it. You know, it's like the best. So like you would have a. The thing is, you know, like the hard part is as a person who loves this place. And also mm-hmm. a person who loves Bravo. Like, I really love yeah. Bravo. one of those people that's on, like, the network that's like, oh, I never watched Bravo or, like, lie. Because, like, come on. Everybody has watched Bravo. Like, mm-hmm. everybody knows, like, since, like, mm-hmm. the early, like, 
the mid 2000s when Bravo became like the home of the housewives. And after mm -hmm. that, like, it's just like television you can't turn away from. And so like, you know, I loved Bravo and I love camp. So it's like these two things that I love came together and I was so excited about like people seeing like why this place is like the one adult camp that has been around for like 40 plus years. And these other wow. copy it and have not been able to copy it mm -hmm. because they're like among like the crew and the people that work there, there's so much love and we have a good time. Like you didn't get to see us like laughing and joking as much with one another. And like, there is so much fun and so much play and like, there's a lot of sex, all of the stuff that like, you know, that you just, that like, I wish everybody had a chance to see. Like the guests are like crazy and fun, you know? So it's like, I, you know, that's why I was, you know, I would have loved to have had the experience of like either having, then having more time and hands able to like give it a, you know, like a more thorough edit and to like, you know, and also just to have more of an opportunity to like, to prepare, like to get people excited about the show and to stick mm -hmm. with the show, even if they were like, you, you can tell like bumps in trying to figure out the story. I, I wish that we'd had that experience because like, honestly, this place is not, it's like all heart. And you, there is no reason that you would have like a bunch of professionals, you know, or people like that just like have like lives outside of this place that would go mm -hmm. every single weekend or almost. Unless I loved it. This like mount this place in the woods and the mountains when it's like ungodly hot or you might be covered mm -hmm. in videos there's got to be something that makes all of us do this and not get paid to do it have you had any conversations with the network or any production companies about opportunity for other shows i mean you are a as i have said harvard trained psychologist that feeds into a lot of different there are a lot of different routes that you could take within the Bravo world. Well, you know, so prior to this show being developed, right, or when it was being developed, um, there was, an, you know, the original production company that came, you know, um, I know that initially Bravo had like a very warm reception, from what I understood, had a warm reception. And so at that point in time, we were talking about the possibility of developing a show that's connected to like my, um, my you know, my brand, my trademark, which is mm. like in the city. And so like, we were talking about that if, if Camp Getaway didn't get picked up. And so once Camp Getaway got picked up, you know, that other stuff, like we had to, you know, like that development deal was now since, um, you know, closed. I think that like, you know, people have asked me, would you do this again? Would you do, like, first of all, if we had gotten a second season for Camp Getaway, trust and believe, honey, I would have done it differently. Because in my real life, I'm not trying to go around blowing up people's spots. I'm not trying to cause people mm -hmm. problems. I honestly, my attitude is like, we are outside, you know, grab a drink, chill out. Let's just have a good time, right? You know, like, I don't care about like what you want people to see. Like, just do, be yourself this time around instead of like not calling people, I would have all the conversations. I'd have been in David's office every single week. Not, not, not David, you need to fire someone. So mm -hmm. I, I look, I would have mentioned it all. I would have told everything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so like, you know, and, and cause it's like, you, I mean, even though I enjoy reality TV shows since like the re first season of the real world, like you don't know how to do it until you do it. Right. And I wasn't going in trying to perform. I really was just going in, like just to go in and see what happened. And um, and now I know that like you can go in and see what happens, but there's also like, you know, like you kind of just have to step outside of yourself and like 
everything, you kind of have to bring it to the table, you know? And I don't want to embarrass people. Like what I do for a living, like translates, I don't want to embarrass you. I want people, I, I'm always curious about what's going on with somebody before I'm like, you're an asshole, you know? But mm. on, for the purpose of the show, I probably like, I, in the end, I was like, you're an asshole. And I still wasn't like, you're an asshole or David, this person's an asshole. They shouldn't be here. Like, but I would do that. Trust and believe. Oh, it would be on a top in this time. How do you feel? <laughs> I love that. How do you feel that mental health and mental health work is portrayed on Bravo? We've seen sessions, especially between like housewives and um, their, you know, mental health care team. What's the, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Some better than others. Like the best therapist I've seen on Bravo, like I would say is like was definitely Bethany's therapist. That guy, I forgot his name. Dr. Amador. Uh, Dr. Amador was good. I was like, Dr. Amador, like his training, it, like to me, mm -hmm. felt like what our training is, or like I I understood what, where he was going, what he was doing. He was really trying to help her develop insight and he was mm -hmm. measured and thoughtful about it. And I was like, this is this is a good example of like therapy. And also what was good about it is we got to see Bethany go regularly as opposed yes. to like what we see these like little snapshots that happen. Um, you know, some of the worst examples I've seen is a, when they try to do it themselves, like stop, <laughs> yeah. you know, like tell us one thing that you like about each other, put your hand on each other's hearts. And I'm like, all right, that, that's fine. And then that, like, what's even worse about that then is when you've seen a couple of therapists do that as like their technique. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you? No, don't, that's not what we do. That's not how this goes. Like, you know, like pain and like people's emotions isn't as simple as putting your hand on your heart and saying like, I like this for, you know, I like the fact that they raised your daughter. Well, like what? Get out of here. I mean, it does feel like <laughs> there's a little bit of a transition we could make to Dallas because mental health has been oh my god such a wild narrative that I feel like has been it's miscommunicated and misconstrued especially this season and in the lead up to the season when it comes to like what a person can get from mental health and yeah you know, so if, what your goal like, can be I'm gonna tell you so it's like the one of the best examples actually that I saw of like a real mental health issue being like brought up and like you know initiated and explored actually was the real housewives of orange county elizabeth's talking about her trauma to me okay. that was like honestly i actually messaged her and said like oh my god this is amazing she didn't respond but you know it's fine but like you know, that's okay. she didn't need to i was just was like things. yep this is amazing because you know as a person who works with trauma like i felt like this was spot on and i under she was what she was saying about her experience was so real. And I thought to myself, this is a real gift for people. And unfortunately, so much of that got overshadowed by Bronwyn stuff, right? And, you know, and sobriety is huge. It's important. But I was like, this is like such, this felt like undramatized, like, you know, real reveal, like in a way that I was like, this is, um, so we're so lucky that we got to see this, right? Um, what were you going to say? Do you feel like filming on a reality show on Bravo is in and of itself traumatizing? I mean, you're talking about someone sharing their trauma and yet they are opening their most vulnerable parts to be potentially eviscerated by strangers on platforms that can spread to like millions of people. How do you handle that as a, how do you equip yourself you to even pursue mental health uh, recovery, discovery, 
knowing the damage that can occur simply by saying that in front of a camera crew. Right. So the thing is, it's hard. What's hard about trauma when you have trauma like she has, like you don't like part of the biggest issue, usually this kind of a trauma is like your boundaries being violated. Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah. And so it's like when you, when you're telling this, you know, to a producer, it's usually like you're in a room with a producer, maybe like a sound person and a camera person. And by the end of that, you've already gotten to know them really well, or you feel safe with them. And, you know, it takes a lot of trust that somebody will really understand your story and be able to tell it. And I think that there's probably more delicacy handled with like stories that feel familiar. But for instance, like for me talking about my experience as a black woman and like Mm -hmm. racial trauma from discrimination Mm -hmm. and like, you know, social, um, you know, like social racism, you know, like everyday Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, racism. I think sometimes it's harder to translate those stories and I hope, I think that they're trying to do a better job of it now, but like, you know, I don't, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the people who are in the end that are putting the stories together and telling the stories, like, there are really like no black people in that position. You know, there are no, like, really no black editors. I think there's probably like maybe less than 10 that rotate around mm-hmm. like your network. And so that's unfortunate. And so, um, so, you know, I think that it probably, I imagine stories like Elizabeth's or, you know, issues around sobriety, even Brandy's story. I think that they're trying to handle with a, a lot of care and presenting it the way that she's trying to present it. Um, and I think Elizabeth, I don't think she knew exactly how to present it. I think it just kind of came out, which to me was a little scary, you know? Um, and I do give Brahman credit for helping her try to be grounded in that moment. But I like, I, I will say that like, also even on my show, like, you know, um, they, they are really good about giving you the option about doing some sort of therapeutic treatment if you need to afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went, you know, like, listen, like even the first weekend after we filmed, I was like, I couldn't wait to see my therapist and I, and honey, not only just my therapist, I reached out to a psychic and I was like, am I doing the right thing here? Like, oh my oh, God. Like, yeah. 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 So for me, like, you know, it was, you know, because I'd been like in the experience in the beginning from the development of the show, from like when they did the sizzle reel to the sizzle pilot and everything, you know, I'd gone through the experience before I, you know, in some ways I felt prepared. I knew like the production company and whatnot. And so I felt comfortable and prepared. What I was not prepared for Sarah was like the experience of, I think these kind of unconscious factors that enter into a space when you are like the only black woman, the only, you know, um, you're black woman, black woman in a position of like leadership and power. And that like people automatically start to like attach um, certain things about like my level of education, all of these things that I just had no control over. And whereas I can, I'm comfortable sometimes standing out, you know, or I'm, I don't necessarily need for everybody to like me. I'm just not usually in the position where it feels like everybody kind of hates me or has a narrative about me before I even open up my mouth. Do you feel like your degree was weaponized? Oh, yeah. My degree was weaponized. My career was weaponized, you know, um, 100%. I even had to say, like, I don't have a Mickey Mouse career here. Like, I actually have a legitimate career. That was my biggest concern, too, about doing this show, like this kind of a show. Like, you know, doing a show that was about me as a psychologist and helpful, especially around the work that I do around relationship stuff, because I'm actually very good at that. I'm really, really good at it. Um, and you know, and so like, that's different because it was like a show about like educating people to think about themselves more deeply 
and, and it would give people an opportunity what it's like to explore themselves and to try to put together narratives about why they are where they are and like, you know, and what their relationship and dating life is like. Um, you know, and I thought it would be great. It would have been so cool to be able to work with like these, like, like people like Lindsay and Sonia who just really struggle, like to help them mm. have a clear narrative about what is going on and why they are where they are. Like, I think that would be phenomenal to be able, and Luke even, you know, like all the people that have struggled mm. relationships on all of these shows, because there's patterns, right? And so I would love, that would be different. <laughs> you know, when it's a show about camp, you know, and they're trying to, you know, and you're trying to create a story. Like, even though I told you, like, in real camp, nobody, like, what you do for a living is not even a thing. Like, nobody mm -hmm. cares, like, who you are as a person. Most people didn't know that I was a psychologist. Certainly, they didn't know that I'm faculty at Harvard Medical School. Nobody really knew that. And it was definitely, like, weaponized on the show. It was almost kind of like trying to put me in the position to be, like, kind of snooty about my education and all this other stuff and I'm like you know what <laughs> it's like I don't even what are you talking about I'm like oh or you're analyzing me like do you know how much I fucking charge like I'm not doing that <laughs> you, you should know? be so lucky yeah, you should be like, so, yeah slide into my memo and I'm happy to, yeah you know, like I don't know if I can the timer can I use that word oh my god please okay everybody every, cool fuck it so like <laughs> I'm like I charge really what like I do this is like my real life my real work mm -hmm. this isn't like Mickey Mouse like I'm not trying to be like some you know like you know um Instagram influencer or like you know that's not what I'm trying to do like I actually love what I do I've worked really hard for what I do I mean like a career like mine you have like I started by fell in love with psychology in high school so it's like I've put in time I put in work my reputation is important. I want people to like, and as a psychologist, ethically, we were bound to all, it doesn't matter, even on this show, even if I'm like a camp counselor, I'm still a psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. so like the APA and like the ethics boards and stuff, I still have to go in and it can't make psychologists look like the most worst, you know, crazy like people in the world. I can't do that. Like I'm still even obligated for that. And the truth is I'm not an asshole and I'm not a crazy person. So it's like, I wasn't worried about that, but I was not prepared for like my career to be weaponized against. I mean, let's shift to Dallas because okay. I feel like that's what's yes. happening. Yes. No, I think it's important to understand your story and experience because I do think it directly applies to what we're seeing play out this season. Yes. You are a Harvard trained psychologist. You are a Christian. Yes. You are a black woman. And we're watching a franchise a right now. Black woman too. And you're a what? I'm a dark-skinned black woman because color. You're a dark-skinned black woman, absolutely. Colorism has been a huge part of this experience too. And you said you're from the South. I'm from the South. Yeah, I'm from the South. And we're talking about Housewives of Dallas, <laughs> where I feel like there's a connection to every single piece of yourself that we just expressed, and mm -hmm. so many others that I'm not aware of because yeah. we've only just met, but now we're best friends. <laughs> I mean. How do you navigate your experiences watching a show where there is so much weaponization taking place where you are able to watch the show without feeling like you're necessarily having your own boundaries 
subverted as a result of it. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like you're watching someone. Does that ever, are you ever, do you ever watch feel? Show, do I get emotional? Do I get really? Yeah. Do you feel, oh, I mean, yeah. how could, how could I wish I could not? like reach through the show and be like, shut the fuck up. You know, like I wish I could do all the things and protect Tiffany. I think, you know, the, I think, listen, my show, like the, the, like, George, the George Floyd, George Floyd was murdered, you know, like at the end of May, the Christian Cooper thing happened at the end of May. And then like, mm. literally like the first week of June is when like all of this stuff exploded. And by the time the first week of June happened, like we were halfway through our show. Right. And so the mm -hmm. show had basically for the most part been edited, packaged, you know, whatever. I think that if this show had been aired afterwards, I think you probably would have seen a different show. What I've seen happen more recently now, I think that the benefit of, that Tiffany is getting that I wish that I'd gotten is that Tiffany is being able to tell her own stories. Whereas like, she's able to talk about the conflict from her perspective. She's able to talk about like her race from her perspective. Whereas like, I don't think that Bravo, even though it was something I brought up from the very beginning, I'm talking about from the very, very beginning before sitting in like you know the offices with like the heads like talking about my mm -hmm. biggest concerns as a black woman knowing that if like if if a, if you put me up against the consciousness of america i'm gonna lose because this is not something that people are intentionally doing i don't think even the way that they put together some of the stories was a conscious thing right but like that's the power of unconscious racism racism bias all of it and i think that like for tiffany I think even now, especially what's happening with like the, you know, the 150% rise of like hate crimes against, like mm. violent hate crimes against Asians and especially Asian women. I think it's so important that Tiffany is now like having the platform for people to see that you, you can be an Asian woman, be strong and, you know, and have a voice and have a perspective and also see the way that she's navigating so much, including like these well-heeled like white women's like social racism. You know, and it's like, I, 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 I'm excited for, her, but at the same time, I feel her pain. Like I got it when she like jumped into the water and just wanted to like leave, you know, throughout at, at some point in my season, like, I just kind of was like, when it doesn't feel safe, I just, we do like what you do in any other setting. You just kind of retreat into yourself and try to protect mm -hmm. yourself. And I definitely had that moment. Nobody's calling me like the N word. I mean, I did get called something that I thought was like, relatively racist but like and then people did say racial stuff but like it's not like this like so clear racism that you put it on television nobody would challenge right mm -hmm. and it's like it, it it may in the end I did feel unsafe at times and I did what most ha what happens for most people when they don't feel safe I kind of like retreated and tried to protect myself and tried to get grounded and you know and certainly talked about it with my therapist and um and I and I can see that those are moments that Tiffany's doing that. I think the thing is, is that that show was filmed after this took place and now it's being put together after all this took place, you know, the race, the reckoning of racism. And I think that like, what's beautiful is that I see that's very different is that Tiffany is able to talk about the conflicts from her own experience. And yet the women in the moment aren't necessarily open to, they're not stepping up, they're not speaking, but they're also not really listening to her unless they feel that she is 
navigating discussing her own vulnerabilities within the context and framework that they have decided she's allowed to use you know what I'm saying like if she expresses vulnerability in a way where they feel like they might be defensive they're not going to allow it so they have sort of punished her by right well they othered her they absolutely othered her from the start. They've punished her for doing the same things that they've done, showing off, you know, the uh, her closet, the items that she's worked her ass off in which right. to buy and right. provide. And and, and, and Kari, and, like, nonstop remind, or Carrie Carr, whatever her name is, like, Carrie, yeah. Carrie, Carrie. yeah, like, nonstop told every, like, reminded everybody that she was Mexican, you know, because she's, like, white presenting. And she, like, that was, like, her thing, you know, like, she nonstop reminded but it's like, you know, because I think, you know, like it be, it wasn't the same as like Tiffany being Asian and looking Asian and having mm-hmm. like culture, like wanting to share like a, her cultural experience and like what feels mm-hmm. normal to her as a woman who's Asian, you know, and, um, and, and also Carrie wasn't like, she's, she's not educated in the way she, she's not like financially independent in the way that you know, that Tiffany is. So there's also no like threat or like experience of like competitiveness with her in that way. You know, like um, Tiffany really is taking, she's kind of like this, it's easy to become a lightning rod and a vessel for other people's fears and discomforts. And instead of them owning it, they just always make it about her. And that is definitely experience. I think that as a woman of color, I've experienced it certainly what happened. Listen, I found out at one point that like, even though, keep in mind, I'd been at camp for years and had been a part of the development of the show, like among the cast, there was a rumor going around that I was hired to just to like, to fuck with them, basically, to like make them. Oh, my God. Very big bachelor energy. Okay. Yes. That I was like a Victoria. Like I was like, like Mm -hmm. kind of like brought on to just like, to solely like mess with them. Right. And I was like, how did I become that? How did, how did that happen? Like, how did, how did you like, what is the reality that you have to twist so much to turn me into that much of an aggressor to being that much of a a bad guy? And the thing is, is that like, I think that they couldn't understand like who I was because I'm not like who they're used to. I think they're not a, not used to meeting, you know, a black woman who's well-educated and certainly has a Harvard affiliation. Who's not like, who's, fun, easy going. And I talk about things. I'm open. Mm-hmm. Right. And I ask questions and I'm not deferential, certainly not to any, like, you know, I'm not deferential, like, especially when it comes to like, you know, these kind of unconscious cues that people expect when it comes to race, I don't do that. And I think instead of like, you know, I see the same way that it's happening with Tiffany, instead of asking, like, why do I have a problem with the Asian woman who's speaking up? Why do I have to call her bossy? You know, why do I have to make this thing that she's doing? Like that's no different from us or the thing maybe I wish I could do more. Why do, Why am I now making this like a negative thing? Why do I have to turn her into a bad guy? And I feel like that to me feels very familiar. How do you feel about how Brandy navigated the first part of this episode when it came to discussing with um, yeah. Tiffany at the shaman hairdresser who, yes, I, lo- I do love him, do love him. Yeah. But at that, in that like, friendship circle where she's saying it's not on you it's on me how much of that did you believe and what's missing there I still felt like the hardest part is is what you know I don't know if you what do you watch the bachelor I watched the last 
hour of the finale because as in Giselle's words, I'm a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. So I don't, but I like know the people. So when you said Victoria, I know her because I follow enough people on Instagram who talk about The Bachelor, which I love. I love listening. This is probably not a surprise. I love listening to people talk about The Bachelor more than I love watching watching it, which I can't, I can't make the commitment. Yeah, no, it's boring, but it's after the final rose. It was like a very interesting experience to watch. You know, Chris Harrison wasn't doing it. And so, but there was a moment where like, there was so much pressure being put on Matt to like forgive like this, you know, this, um, whatever her name was, Rachel. Rachel. Like went to this antebellum party and was like, had been like, you know, making racist comments in the past and mm-hmm. bullied people for like, bullied somebody for having a black boyfriend, you know, like they wanted, it's like they were putting pressure on him to like, to like apologize and thank him like, you know, oh, like you're, you know, like she's apologetic, you know, oh, she's going to do the art. You're going to help her with the work. And I was just kind of like, this is the problem. This is like the consistent problem that, that shows up so often that like when the, especially because, you know, in the end, even if people are trying to get better at telling stories, this is the part of the story that really requires a lot of like culpability and ownership on white people to recognize that there's there still is a need to make the person who they have transgressed, like to put it on them to somehow make them feel better about like their racism. Like, you know, as if like, oh, I feel terrible. It's like what we've seen with Sharon Osborne this week. I am being, you know, like, how dare you call me racist? It's painful for me to- Don't you dare cry. Yeah. Don't you dare cry. Yeah, like it's, you, you're hurting me by saying this to me, like make me feel better. And it's like, no, racism hurts way worse than me calling you racist. Ra- worse, racism is way worse than me like telling you I'm uncomfortable with what you're saying. Like it's way worse. And I felt like they were, and I, and I was sad because I felt like Tiffany had to do it. Like she had to go in and like, be like, okay, I'm going to roll out the white carpet for you guys and show you that mm-hmm. I really am not a threat. I really am not a threat. I'm going to give you candles. You'll see that I am this docile, nice Asian woman, you know, and I just, and, 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 and that happens in everyday life. And I'm sure there were moments like that, even on my show where I'm just like, I can't, you know, like, it's just easier just to like, you know, whatever. And it, and instead of having, like, it didn't feel like Tiffany could just simply say, like, she said it to the camera, like, that's on you. I'm sorry, my Asian, mm-hmm. my Asianist makes you uncomfortable, but it's like, she couldn't have said it at that table and it been okay. She would have like been more of like the, like the bad guy among everybody. And also she may have been the bad guy to the rest of the cast who seem ready, willing, and able to put her in that category. And also to the audience, many of whom have responded to her in very negative and I would say aggressive terms, predominantly white viewers who are heavily siding with Cam and sending, Tiffany has been posting these messages that she's been receiving on social media and amplifying very unfortunate derogatory and racist comms that are coming her way from people being like you're a doctor you should focus on that like how dare you talk about this other stuff like shouldn't you essentially oh I got that too listen I got that too I actually like you know I definitely got that I got that you know as it's you know I mentioned to you in clubhouse like the hardest part about watching like you know my like watching camp getaway was the fact that that the conflict that was presented that I that I had with like with one person in particular but with like another person 
it was like, I was prepared for it to be edited and amplified and made to be bigger drama. What I was not prepared for is that like, I would not have any voice in it. It would be mm. like only these white people talking about our conflict and, and from their perspective, which, you know, I think in some ways, I think un, un, unintentionally or unconsciously, I think that like, it was hard for like people in general, I think audience, editors, whatever, just people to see a black woman and a white man, woman having a conflict and not, and, and be able to see the white woman as being the aggressor. If she's not using like just full on like language that's racist or whatever. And so I think, and, and out of that, like, you know, and how the story was put together, it made it seem as if like, I didn't respect boundaries or I was just like somehow like, you know, like, aggrandizing myself and I got so I mean I got so much like hate and like vitriol like sent to me about like oh how are you a psychologist how are you working with people with trauma you don't respect them you don't do this you don't do that I had people create like fake google like you know um reviews like, oh that sucks really awful like really people really came after me and that came after my career because I think that like you know that's what I'm saying like it's like I mean, like people want to punish you but for it, having yeah. come after the thing that I think that like, it's hard for them to wrap their head around. Right. The fact that I am like a Harvard psychologist, like Tiffany is, you know, like a well-respected anesthesiologist. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't fit like what they are expecting us to be. And so that's the thing that they come after. Right. And mm-hmm. like, you know, nobody else on the show got like that kind of heat you know, for like any kind of challenges, but it's like, I had people literally try to attack my reputation and my business and like went so far, like really went so far as to like, to just like to, just, I mean, the same kind of stuff, like nobody actually called me like, like, you know, a pejorative word, like the N word, nobody called me that, but it's like, they might as well, some of the stuff that they were saying, you know, like what they were describing, how they were describing, it's like the very worst of like stereotypes of black women you know, and like, but then doing that, and then like attach, trying to attach that to my professional reputation in my business. And I was prepared for people to like have comments about me being a psychologist and doing this. That was like the hardest part about like doing the show. The fact that like in my field, what we do is there's a level of like, you know, you know, anonymity and like, um, you know, um, what's the word, you know, when you don't, when you're not having sex, what is that word? Oh, celibacy? Wait, sex? Yeah, like it's the same thing. Like, as I told you, I told you it's a little Freudian, but like, what is it? Okay. No, abstinent. There's a oh, abstinent. Of, yeah. There's a level of abstinence and anonymity. That thing I'm being forced to be right now. Yes. Right. It's swipe right. Like, swipe right for like, Moderna. You yeah. abstain of like giving, like of showing yourself. There's a level that you have to step back. Uh-huh. Like, I had to prepare my patients. Like, you're going to see me. You might see me drunk. You know, I'm a human being, you know, like, which is fine it's also good sometimes it can be helpful um in some ways like depending you know but it's like I was so I and I was worried about my colleagues I was like oh my god am I gonna lose my Harvard appointment like what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. I was not prepared though for people because for people to come after me the way that they did and to try to attack my business the way that they did like you know I just wasn't prepared for that because that wasn't my like there was no reason to do that based on the experience of what happened while we were filming, but like mm-hmm. going back and watching it, I can see like why people might question that. But the way that they came at me was like, mm-hmm. why isn't anybody else getting this kind of hate? And it feels like that is a feeling that I think 
Tiffany and Deandra might also be playing out a little bit this season where they seem to be on the same page about sort of wild inconsistencies when it comes to the rest of the cast's treatment of Tiffany and also confusion at the narrative that is being probably produced and presented around redemption for Brandy versus accountability. Right. That's exactly what it is. So that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the piece that bothered me when I watched The Bachelor. That's the piece that bothered me when I saw this with Tiffany. I felt like they were forcing her to like give Brandy redemption. I actually literally last week did a grand rounds talk for, you know, for the medical school Mm. about like, you know, a microaggression, like a moment of microaggression with one of my old, um, you know, like one of my old directors and we, she and I have like written about it and presented it and we were talking about it. And like, it's so she, she can own now that she was seeking redemption, which is like too burdensome for the person who just experienced your racism, right? Brandy saying this in this setting was really like, it was just like so crystal clear that it was racist and like they were so quick to call Leanne racist when she like you know like I see how it was racist but she also was like you know to me it felt like she was she was saying what Carrie said but the way she's it was like it was racist clearly because she had no awareness that she should say but it's like Mm -hmm. they were so quick to condemn her for being racist when it was like what Brandy was doing her actions was so racist just like the words weren't there but it was like so obvious and it was painful to watch and it was painful for Tiffany to be in that and I just was like oh and like I I, and the fact that none of the other women spoke up to Brandy in the moment and said Brandy wait a minute time out this is not on Tiffany this is you it would have been so powerful if they had done that I think Tiffany would have been cared for I think she would have felt protected and it's good that Deandra might like say something on the end, but like speak up in the moment. Like that's the piece that I used. I used to actually say to even people on my show, like fr- people who were friends of mine, like I need you to speak up on in the moment when this yeah, is. Yeah, hold me accountable. Otherwise, the viewers are, and they might be doing that regardless. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For behavior that you may not have even exhibited that that right. they purely felt right or whatever yeah if you like, don't just say it to me. Like say it to them in the moment. Like call them out. Don't let you know. Like. If you, you know, like, that's fine. even if you don't think of it or see it as you just think something's off with it, at least speak to that. And unfortunately, that's also how racism shows up, that there's a, like an affiliation based on like the affinity group of whiteness that like racism is so scary that even white people don't want to hold each other accountable for their racism publicly. Because again, like there's this misnomer that like being called racist is more painful than the person who's experiencing the racism. I don't know how that happens. I mean, I know how it happens, but like, that's the issue. That's the problem. And there's an otherism that has come out on Dallas in addition to race, which is religion, weaponizing spirituality, which I thought was so wild. It's like a combination of weaponizing spirituality as well as um, intellectual curiosity that's happening on Dallas. It happened with Cam and Tiffany, Cam using, I forget what word she'd forgotten, and Tiffany being like, Hey, just as like a person who should maybe understand words, let me, you know, because I'm also curious. And if I fuck up a word, which I do every other time, Andy's Girls listeners know this well, <laughs> you know, someone's going to correct me and then I learn and then I say it better. Like the fact that even understanding and knowing information is a character flaw, which Cam did before and Brandy is doing now when it comes to even understanding spirituality outside of my wheelhouse is a 
a sign that I'm like kikiing with the devil. Right. Right. Is like wild to me. A snob or right. Or that you're like, I have never in my entire life been called belittling, but it's like, I'm seeing this repetition of that women with education somehow now are all belittling because we're just not being dumb. Yeah. Or maybe participating in like evil spirit games, which is what Brandy was pretty obviously saying to Deandra at the end of the episode, which I thought was that you're like, yeah, you're dancing with the devil. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's like, if you think about Brandy, Brandy's like from the very beginning, like, I'm going to be honest from the very beginning of Dallas. Like I, I still, I, you know, for what it's worth, I think she's probably really crazy in real life, but I kind of just have always liked Lee. And I also kind of go for like some of the underdogs on these shows, especially now after having this experience, like, wow. yeah, I, I can appreciate, you know, Brandy. Super appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Leanne, I appreciate because in some ways, Lindsay, even I can see like the bigger picture and how mm-hmm. there's an earnesty and honesty that happens that gets exploited. Right. Or that's scary. I think to some of these women and, and Brandy, I always felt was kind of like so binary and simple. It was like, either you have fun and you laugh and talk about farts or you think you're better than everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, or that, like, I think she was saying something about wearing a, a bunny costume. You're trying, you know, you're trying to, but meanwhile, she's like had so much plastic surgery and whatnot, you know, to try to like, to in like, wants to stand out in all these ways. And I just like, there's part of me that was like, it's not that simple. So watching this thing, and I was not, I mean, come on, who was surprised that like, that, you know, that she was caught on video, that she thought it was funny. Like, didn't even realize how racist it was. Cause I'm sure like, mm-hmm. it, like, all of these women, like, are you, are you really surprised that these women have said or done anything racist? We're talking mm-hmm. about Alice. Like, you know, women who clearly, like, I think on some level, Tiffany's probably their first experience with somebody non white. So it's like, I, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm not surprised to see this because it's all based on ignorance. And like, there's something about this idea of like, ignorance is comfortable. Like, cause you know, like for Brandy to question something she would have to really look at her life and now she's having all this other stuff come up you know about her marriage and her husband and all this and I imagine that it probably if that's really difficult to look at and scary I think it's she's scared af right what is she how does she put her life together how does she see Mm -hmm. herself you know and she said that she was suicidal and I can imagine but even the way that that story was put together it didn't feel like it was suicidal based on like the like the pain of like having to sit and discover like how like the like the power that you have to cause pain or like you know wreck like you know seeing yourself as complex right it almost felt like again that like don't be mad at me and like or like I've I've been punished enough with this or like I should you know like my accountability was feeling like you know suicidal and I just was like you know that's not how you know, like I get it, but like, I wish there was a more complete story about like her exploration of this in like whatever mental health setting she was in. Well, I think that she, when she discussed self-harm, which is obviously a very dangerous and real situation for many people, it was, it much of it revolved around shame that she felt so shamed and ashamed of herself that she didn't want to exist in her body or she wanted to harm herself in some way. And yet shame is the first weapon that many people reach for when they want to ensure that they are on stable ground and okay. So in order for her to feel like she was protecting herself and also how other people were looking at her and potentially would think of her, she was 
amplifying and weaponizing shame against someone else. So she was saying to Deandra, I want to ensure that I myself am protected. So I am going to teach you about how shameful that exercise was because I am a Christian woman. I need to remind myself I'm a Christian woman. I have a set strict standard of protocol that you may not have seen in other behavior, but because someone is burning sage and we're using, you know, noises and things, it's going to be more obvious to people that this is not necessarily something a Christian woman could put traditionally Christian woman could participate in then, you know, derogatory terms and being disrespectful and othering and everything else. This right. was like the capital, right. it's the, you know, N of no, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like I am good. I am. It's like this thing of like, they're like literally like, it feels like a black and white, like I'm good. You're bad. Right. Like it doesn't. Yeah. And she's saying it in a mirror, except the problem is she's actually saying it to another person. Right. Right. As opposed to like, you know, like I think, you know, it would be, it, you know, like when, like, say, for instance, when Leanne talked about her experience of like wanting to self-harm and when Stephanie did, there was like a story that felt like that, you know, that felt like you, that, that they wanted to share and give them like, and, you know, and to like to kind of give help and to like, you know, it felt like it's something that people could identify with. And you're right, like Brandy's has just been a story of shame and like, seek, you know, and almost like wanting forgiveness without doing the work. Yeah. And I feel like validation and shame is can be so hand in hand. Like maybe one of the reasons that Deandra, Deandra seems very well traveled. We know that she is and also interested in other cultures and understanding other forms of spirituality in order to better understand herself and watching that dovetail with her relationship with her mom which ended with such an explosive episode where like who are we it is entirely possible that she has been exploring these other cultures and other forms of self-connection because she's interested in that and God bless her for it. And also because she might not be receiving validation in her relationship with her mother and right. the mother daughter relationship. Her mother shamed her too. Like it was the mom, a hundred percent. She shamed her in saying that the, the shaman situation was oh, part I've of the devil, yada, yada. But like wanting to have comfort, you know, financial comfort. Totally. Ability. Meanwhile, that's what her mother was doing. I thought that was, that to me was like really painful too. You're right. Like, I've always felt that like the one, like the one negative thing that I've experienced about a lot of the housewives, all the, like all of the shows is that they rely on shame as a way to like make Mm -hmm. feel better. And if it's like, it's shame of like not being married or having a man, not shame of like not having children, right. The shame of not having money, you know, shame of being sexual, right. Being having sexual impulses and needs. Yeah. A little lit when you're like, you have Mm -hmm. like 15 kids and your father and your mother are like, like whatever that happened to Jennifer the other night, you know, it's like, there's so much like shame and like, you know, and like, when I say shame, like something's wrong with you, you know, Mm -hmm. and that you should feel bad about this. And that, and therefore I feel better. I, I like, that has been like a thing that I think is problematic, but in some ways, I think that also reflects like some of like the most kind of like basic human things that people do, like as a way to sometimes people, unfortunately will try to other another person so they can feel better about themselves based on the decisions that they make or the decisions that they do not make or the things that they don't speak up on behalf of or not curious about or the lives that they choose to like stay in as opposed to like maybe pursuing or questioning other things. And so I, in some ways we're seeing this play out, but I do wish like this is such like all these shows, including even camp 
getaway are shows where like there's an opportunity to like to really kind of elevate these conversations and like go you know into like reach and show more of like the real human condition that I think people do and people want to see. Like, I think it's amazing that DeAndre's doing it. You remember Leanne was like meditating, you know, like a few seasons back. And that was kind of like, and I think that they're doing a better job of incorporating this as a part of Leanne's like, I mean, like DeAndre's like growth and transformation. So I think that you're seeing the show itself shifting, perhaps maybe taking a, a, a more inclusive brush, but it's like, I hopefully they will have a conversation about the fact that like Brandy, you know, isn't like something about like something that is unknown or different from her instead of just being like, it's unknown and different from me or I'm a little uncomfortable with it, that it's Mm -hmm. that and you're going to hell and you're dancing with the devil. Like, and also there are situations where these women know better, where I think Brandy actually believes what she's saying, or she's afraid of understanding a different perspective. And so she retreats. And then there are other instances and in relationships where shame is being used and amplified uh, with the absolute knowledge that doing so on camera is there's a hope there that that is helping with a narrative that's being used to harm someone else and I think of what Kenya and Portia are experiencing on Atlanta right now where Kenya has been doing her very best and sometimes deputizing Latoya to do the same of using shame as a weapon and watching the other person from the beginning say listen I'm not signing up to participate in that not and and trying to figure out how the friend circle responds like it's an odd tactic for Kenya to use when one of her strongest allies is Candy who has an incredibly successful sex toy line and is absolutely very open and honest and proud of being a sexual being and watching all of the disconnects has been like shocking fascinating well, like let's put on our little therapist let's put on our psychologist hat here. oh you know it's my favorite thing okay you know we're gonna put on our psychologist hat. What, basically what you're speaking to is how these people these women when they're experiencing very challenging moments in their own life Kenya going through this divorce and feeling deeply ashamed because like this is tapping to her sense of abandonment and not being lovable right because remember like when she first came on they were all sex shaming her and humiliating her like saying that she was trying to sleep with her husband or she was too sexual you know they were all doing that right where she wasn't wanted sexually by her boyfriend right, where it was an right. arrangement all... he couldn't possibly love her you right. know, so she maybe knows was, but yeah like to have that weaponized mm-hmm. Portia did it too right you know like she knows it so it's like now that she like is has felt like I think on some level she felt validated getting married and having a child like she felt like some level of success now that that's kind of crumbling and you know and like coming from her grasp I think she, you're seeing her in real time struggle with this thing that is so core to like her identity and like the struggle of am I really lovable am I worth having these things that I've always wanted to have, you know, and I think you're seeing her shame being projected and played out around all of this stuff. I think that's what you're seeing with Brandy, her deep sense of shame of, you know, having to like sit with, I'm, I'm sure beyond just this one moment that she caught on camera and decided to like put on her social media, I'm sure she's probably having to contend with all the ways in which she's been racist 
and whatnot. And like, and I'm sure that's very painful and shameful for her. And I'm, I'm assuming that it also probably is connected to her husband's infidelity. Right. And so like, instead of like really being able to sit in that, or like it becomes intolerable, you see her like wanting to make other people, the bad guy consistently, Tiffany, you're the bad guy, Deandra, you're the bad guy, you know? And, and in some ways I feel like that's what's happened before. I feel like that's what happened to Leanne too. Like, I mean, I, I really did. And so unfortunately, like, you know, like there's no psychologist like putting together these shows, but it's like, I, you know, as for me, these are the ways that I fill in the gaps, but I do wish sometimes more of these stories were told. Like, at least if it were just like a hint of like, what is going on that you're like so hell bent on doing this thing that was done to you? Like, mm-hmm. how, you know, like, do you think that there's a way that like, you just feel so bad because of what's happening in your life right now that you just need mm-hmm. to feel bad? Like, it's not that misery loves company, misery loves miserable company. And I feel like that's what's getting played out. Well, and I feel like that's kind of the theme song that's playing in Kenya's head. Yeah. Don't you think that? Yeah, and I really, I find I have so much empathy for her. I, and I really love Kenya on the show. Mm-hmm. And I also just watch it, how she's behaving. And I'm like, oh, this it's is painful. not it. It's so painful, painful to watch. It's so painful. Because I don't believe, first of all, I never believe in tearing down women. I do not sex shame women. It's just not something I do. I wouldn't talk about a woman's body. None of those things. I just don't even, it doesn't even like occur to me, you know, um, and so it's like to see it, I'm just like, it, it just feels, there's so many other things that can go after each other on, but like, why like about like what you do, you know, behind closed doors on camera, but still like, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Unhealthy and brings pleasure. Like why, why? I don't, I, that's, un, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. What's the difference between how shame and accountability are being used on Jersey right now? Do you think? With the, with the, um, Evan, Jim, Mishigas versus Gia Coke Den <laughs> situation of it all. Yeah. See, you know, I have a, I haven't, you know, I have my own experience of like Jackie. I feel like Jackie came on this show, like really needing Teresa to like, I think she was a huge fan of Teresa. Mm-hmm. I think she was a huge fan girl. And I think Teresa was like, I don't care. I don't have time. My husband's in jail. I just got out of jail. My mom died. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't care about you. Like what's going on. You're not, I don't trust you. I don't know you. And I think that Jackie felt very hurt and probably very ashamed of it. And I think that that then kind of like started this feud that has gone on. And I think instead of like in a moment where like Jackie could have like empathy, especially as a person who's had like major health, like mental health stuff, you know, like major Mm -hmm. traumas in her life associated with like her eating disorder Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And and, like, there is a lot of shame associated with eating disorders. Right. And so like, instead of being able to have a level of compassion and understanding, Jackie is literally like trying to shame her instead of talking about her insecurities. She's shaming her by saying, I win and you lose. I have the life you want to have. Your life is like mm-hmm. fucks down. You're a loser and all this other stuff. And not only that, but like the amount your daughter is coked out as a result of it. And my kids are perfect, you know? And it's like, it's just awful to watch. And I think Teresa also was like, I'm going to humiliate you. You know, like, as if, even if her husband's cheating on her, like, what does that have to do with Jackie? Yeah. And also people are trying to say like, and Jackie in response should have said, should have brought up Teresa's husband's cheating stuff. And I'm like, 
that's not actually how an analogy works because the whole purpose of this was to say, here's something that's obviously fake. Mm-hmm. You're not instead going to substitute it with like, here's the reality. Yeah. <laughs> what Teresa yeah. and the world all know that Teresa and her marriage have been experiencing for right. a number of years and right. girlfriends. That was the sad thing. I wish that Teresa had a little bit more empathy about that. But I think Teresa was just like, you know, felt like very much like, cause Jackie, like Jackie, her way of shaming the women also has been through like her intellect. The thing that I felt like they were trying to like put upon me or put upon Tiffany of like making us seem like, you know, that we're like somehow smarter or better than mm-hmm. he does that. Mm-hmm. He like actually will correct, like, like highlight, you know, things. And like Teresa, I mean, you know, her parents are immigrants. English is not our first language, you know, like yeah, and also Teresa is like one of those interesting people. I rewatched this um viral video of Gwyneth Paltrow filming um this like cooking show with John, what's his face, the director um swing John Favreau. Yeah. And um he's say he said to her like, "Oh, remember that thing when we filmed like Spider-Man or whatever? Did you see that clip? It's like an older clip." No, I don't she's like She's like, when when we did what? When we filmed Spider-Man? He's like, yeah, remember when we were like doing, when we were filming Spider-Man? I forget if it was Spider-Man, by the way, guys, sorry. And she's like, Iron Man film was when it was what? Probably Iron Man, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was like, she's like, no, we were never in that. And he's like, yeah, we were. We were in like Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, we were never in that movie. Uh, no, we were. Remember when we were like, when we did that thing? And there's this look on her face where she's like, we were oh, was I in that? Where she genuinely, its she's not trying to be dismissive or disrespectful. She just truly probably in that moment cared so little about whatever project she was doing a cameo on that she immediately forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And there are some aspects of Teresa's participation in New Jersey that feel very similar where it's like, she's not even trying to be disrespectful. She genuinely doesn't care. And there was an after show episode of New Jersey this week or last week where I think it was like she was filming with Dolores and Dolores was talking about, oh, yeah, and Jackie gave a toast at like the Evan Preju party. And Teresa's like, oh, she did. See, I told you she referenced the cheating thing. See, she knew. I told you she knew and she was fine with it or whatever. And and Dolores is like, no, there was like another scene in the show that I'm going to tell you about because you don't watch your show and watching (laughs) Teresa be like oh this thing happened that because I wasn't filming I don't know about because I a hundred percent do not care to watch my show is like an additional layer of the Teresa experience because she can be vindictive she can be volatile reactive she also at her core, not even disrespectfully in her head to Jackie, and I don't think she's like experiencing disrespect in any way, Teresa, but she like doesn't care. So like this person is joining the show. She de- she's here. She's going to have a good time. She's going to make some jokes. God love her. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. She doesn't care she doesn't to make Jackie feel better. She really no. does. She's not rolling out the carpet for Jackie. She's not like, you know, come here, let me help you. Teresa's like, whatever, I got stuff. 
And Jackie's the exact opposite of OG energy. Like mm-hmm. Margaret can come in and she's going to change the, g- the game and there's going to be some connection. Dolores has big OG energy just because she has how decades of relationships with so many of the people on the cast and she has carved out a space for herself even if she doesn't unfortunately take up space in her relationship with um with her boyfriend which is another all conversation altogether but with the Teresa and Jackie of it all it also feels like just two very different generational models of housewives who are not in sync right what do you mean that's interesting i want to hear this this is fascinating sarah tell me because to me Teresa is like a general genuine og who has been able to monetize Mm -hmm. and popularize her name in relation to housewives in a way that feels historic right and jackie's personality is not that jackie does not have to me a guttural instinctive personality that is as connected to celebrity when it comes to being a housewife as a personality like Teresa. I would put Teresa in the canon of like a Teresa, a Bethany, a Vicky, maybe even a Tamra in some a way, an LVP, a Nini, a, a thousand. Nini is like yeah. in the top like one yeah. percent. When they started though, they weren't doing it with the expectation that they would be like this like thing. Like they weren't that they didn't totally and their expectations have changed. Right. And Jackie's expectation may be tied to some of the achievement that is possibly no longer possible except for a very select crew of spiritual OGs. Right. And it just so happens that Jackie is not one of them. And it doesn't mean she's she's not great. Doesn't mean she's not a good housewife. She's trying to curate too much. It's not natural and it's not working out because there's such a conflict in who these women are as like archetypes that it's not, it's not an even playing field. And also Teresa's being dismissive because she wants to, and it's funny. And Mm -hmm. also because she herself is never going to look at Jackie. Teresa went through that with Melissa. It just so happens that because of Melissa, she's not really kind of an archetype either. She isn't, but her, but Joe is. And so her connection, I think Joe is much more, you think if they were no longer on this show, see, I feel like the the show could not exist without Teresa. That's my feeling. I, feel- I don't think that, I don't know how, I think Jersey would go through a very, it, it is. I don't think that they could yes. do it. I don't like even LVP leaving, like you still had Kyle, right? But like, I feel like if Teresa left Jersey, like it would be tough. It would be, I don't like, I don't think that they would be able to. Like, I think it's possible. I think it would be very tough. Mm-hmm. I think the the value that Melissa brings is not necessarily in Melissa. It's in Joe, who brings a lot to the table. I think the husbands on New Jersey. Better. Yeah. Yeah, and also because his relationship with Teresa, and I still think Teresa and Melissa's relationship is now so fascinating to me because they do seem to be getting along. And even when they have these little hiccups, there is an alliance and an understanding that they have that I think is very powerful, knowing what they've been through before. So in that way, I think Melissa is a better tie-in to the archetype of it than Jackie is. But like, I think like Marge is a character in and of herself and is so yeah. unique that she and exceeds Jennifer too. Like Jennifer came on like hard. Totally. And also what Jennifer is experiencing right now with her, the difficulties navigating her relationship with her parents and feeling like her mom is going to weaponize Jennifer's 
immediate sense of wanting to protect her father against her mm-hmm. were even wanting to try to plan a hopefully COVID safe trip to Turkey <laughs> to visit the new grandkid. If God forbid they want her father, who's physically maybe not doing well and walks with him or whatever else to see his grandchild and maybe provide for him an escape and being worried that their mom is going to target them because of it. That's tough. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure in addition to five kids, none of whom are interested in picking up a plate. Like right. that's a lot of pressure. Right. Wait a minute. Who was the person that was like your your family? You like tried to weaponize the fact that her brother was in an arranged marriage against her. And she was like, Yeah, so what? We're Turkish. We do arranged marriages. Who was the person? Oh, I forget. Oh my god, I totally I don't, don't remember, remember who was the one who challenged her on it. But was yeah, it Jackie? I, I don't might remember. Have been, it might have been. It might have been Jackie. So let me ask you this now. Tell me. Ask oh my God. So, you know, fortunately, after, you know, June of 2020, a lot of the shows kind of had their come to Jesus moment and recognized the necessity to make sure that these shows, like, have a better, more diverse representation, right? Um, and I do believe that they're going to do it differently. It will not, I don't think it will mirror, like, what I experienced. I think that, you know, that they will probably make a greater effort to allow like these you know like women of color people of color to really like share their experience too Mm -hmm. but what (laughs) jersey with a black housewife um i think it i think it would totally depend on the relationship with the per i think it would have to be they don't have any black friends come on I mean you might be right I don't know like does Therese I don't know I don't know how that would work I think it would be a lot easier on Jersey than I think Dallas I think there's more you know in Dallas though not in this swirl I don't know in this circle of friends that's I don't true. know I I you know that's true I don't know you know like as um Oh God! Look, it was hard for Ellen fell on 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 Beverly Hills. Like they never touched race, even though you could tell it was like such a part of her conflict with Kyle. Yeah, and when it comes to the all things Garcelle, judging by the social media that these women have been doing and some bullshit fuckery that I think Rinna posted of like saying I think it was like a picture of her and like maybe Erica Jane or somebody else when they're like we're the anti-villain or something I forget the phrase that they use but I am very nervous that Garcelle is going to be othered on the upcoming season they were and I am very nervous about it because Garcelle isn't present in any of these like group photos nobody's referencing her she herself is going through her own career renaissance with coming to America too with um the real with it's the it's the real right yeah with the real with everything that she's working on which is amazing where housewives to her is not a natural priority because she is a genuine working actor and she has a celebrity attached to that and I don't think they love that in the I think they Hollywood that people loved her so much when she came on the show I think which you will get weaponized immediately immediately not on how not in Beverly Hills they hate that But I'm also going to say, though, as I said to you, the same experience that I had that I don't think that like some like the majority of my cast was like used to having a very well educated black woman kind of in a position of like leadership and power or Mm -hmm. seeing confidence. 
I think you think they're experiencing that in BH? I think that they, they wanted Garcelle to be a bit more like deferential and like, oh, like maybe like be my friend or be a little mm. bit more like insecure about it. And Garcelle was like, hey, I'm friends. She's not that person. B, I've had a career for a while. C, yeah. like, you know, but I, you, for me watching it, I was just like, there's definitely some like subtle racial stuff, not even subtle, like racial stuff happening with Garcelle and Kyle, but we're not going to hear about it. They're not going to talk about it because, you know, I don't, you know, like racist racism and talking about race is not entertainment. At least that's been the perspective. I do think that what happened in 2020, June of 2020 has now shifted that a bit. Um, And so I hope that whoever like is editing and putting together that show, whoever is like the Bravo exec, like, you know, you know, like um, on that show, I hope that they will like take that up, especially with Garcelle and um, the new cast member who's an Asian American woman, you know. Crystal, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And who like, 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 it seems like she's been more accepted into this group. hundred percent has. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I think she and Tiffany, like, for instance, she and Tiffany have very different lived experiences too. Mm-hmm. And like their cultural life, I think is different because Crystal is her husband's wife, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's all sorts of subtle stuff, all sorts of subtle stuff that I would love to see. But like, you know, again, ultimately these shows have to be entertaining and they have to entertain like all of America. And Mm. a lot of America doesn't want to talk about racism the same way that like Brandy doesn't want to deal with the racism. You know, it's like, it's difficult. It's uncomfortable. People want to say it doesn't exist. They want to project onto like the person of color that they're making it about racism or that you're just bringing it up to not have to do like, there's so much that goes into it that, you know, part of the reason why, like, from my experience, I've like, you know, have decided I want to take up more, like I already have some projects that I'm working on, but I want to do more projects around like making sure that people are telling accurate, thoughtful stories. It can still be entertaining, you know, about race and culture. So like, yes. And also like being a woman taking up space, like we need to be taking up more space just as women. And there's a way that we minimize each other and that we feel minimized and we feel shame for wanting to use our voices and for activating them. And it's an uneven playing field where women are shamed for using their voices and men are celebrated. And there's an appreciation for men using their voice and uh, almost um, a thankfulness that a lot of people use when men use their, uh, feel when men use their voice that's weaponized against women. And I think having those kinds of conversations is important. And I think it's something that exists in the Bravo community itself. You know, I think it's all- Oh, totally. I think it's all, I think it's all connected, which is why I am so appreciative for having this conversation today, because I think it's important for women to be able to talk about our own experiences and listen to each other and amplify each other and also celebrate the understanding that like, you may have a different opinion than mine. And it might be based on your personal experience and journey and understanding of someone else's behavior. And it's important to ideally, hopefully listen to both and understand both and respect the fact that we both and, and that all women it, it is important for us to, I just can't stop saying this phrase in my head because it's been like a very pro women kind of week, but like <laughs> we need to take up space. We have the right to take up space. We have the right to say things. We have the right to express feelings. We have the right to be angry and feel that. And it to should not questions. be weaponized we and to ask questions. Yeah. And we oh. are weaponized so much more than men are. And 
men are in many, a lot of, obviously not all men. And then we get into like the heteronormativity of it all. And that's a whole different conversation. But like when it comes to gender politics, there is an experience that does feel specific to women. Mm -hmm. That is a difficult journey when it comes to um, uh, our own path of vulnerability and communication and boundaries and everything else. And I think it's important to have these like women to women conversation. And it's right. important for women and men and those who don't identify in either gender right. who are fit right. to hear, you right. know, I think right. it's just important to hear. I agree with you. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a little intersectionality on that too. And say, and, among and within like, within women, I think that not only should they be doing that, but I think that there should also be the awareness of like the idea of the intersectionality, the issue of like Tiffany, the issue of Garcelli mm-hmm. that I experienced that like, mm-hmm. then don't police one another or like mm-hmm. get uncomfortable when they take up space that you're not used to having a woman of color take up in your life. Oh, I have been shamed like a motherfucker. I have had, we talked about eating disorders a little bit. I have been very open in talking about my history with disordered eating, which is connected to trauma. And it's a conversation for a whole nother day. And I'll slide into your Venmo shortly. But yes, <laughs> I have been, I've been shamed by other women for taking up space wow. and for saying like, respect my boundaries. Right. And that's been weaponized against me, which when we talk about mental health, that's why I give Brandy a lot of grace when it comes to right. her struggles and her path with self-harm, because I understand understand that. And I also think that if someone is telling you or they are in a position where something is like triggering to mm-hmm. them and they have felt in a, a way or in a world that feels dangerous, you need to respect that. Right. And at a or certain point, you need to shut the fuck up. Like yeah. Yeah. that is when it gets into the self-harm dangerous and all that other stuff, that's a very difficult path. And it's also a difficult journey to be someone with a voice trying to take up space, but also having experienced direct examples of people trying to weaponize shame right it's it's it can be tough but i also think for anybody listening like for all those ladies out there and for everybody just keep going on your journey take up space know try to understand for yourself your own boundaries and things that you're comfortable talking about with others and things that you're comfortable talking about with you know um your uh harvard trained psychologist (laughs) mental health team and and just keep on keeping on it's important to at the end of the day it is important to both talk and listen and that's why i'm so appreciative for you coming on AG today because I think it was a fun combo of both. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's interesting because it's like, you know, as you were saying this stuff, I was rethinking what I said about Brandy that like, I can see that in some ways, like even that part of like the self-harm part, like felt a little bit like her redemption and like, you know, story and like have pain for her. Like, whereas Meghan Markle was also saying that like the Mm. the bad that she felt suicidal and I was rethinking it and I'm like, that's one of those moments where I watch it as a viewer and as a black woman, as a, you know, as a black person, as a, you know, specifically as a viewer watching it and have that other experience. But in my like professional life, in my clinical hat, like it doesn't matter. Like that's all. Of course. You know, like it's of course. You know, and, and it goes to show that like part of the reason why, you know, ultimately why I did this show. And if I were to ever do something else, I would be something that I think that like, you know, that like, I could have more of a voice of like, mm-hmm. about what it is and what I'd, mm-hmm. what I'd want to share, because I feel like anytime we watch these shows, there's somebody, even in the most like bizarre of stories or the stories that like, like the majority of like the viewership is against, 
there is still somebody that's going to connect with it in such a powerful, meaningful way. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, ultimately that's the benefit. Like I, that's why I will always probably love reality television, even though like it wasn't, it wasn't the best lover to me, but like, mm-hmm. I will always appreciate it and love it. And I love hearing you guys talk about it because I actually do appreciate different points of views. And, um, and I think that like you guys, honestly, I'm being honest with, you, I think like the, like the bloggers, um, really like being able to like step back and hear your perspective allowed me to still continue to love like reality television mm. after my experience because it was very painful like you know through the summer I can't imagine being in that and seeing that and having to sit with that I mean there was a lot of tears and there was a lot of weight gain there was mm. all sorts of stuff that mm. came out of that um, and a lot of conversations a lot of risk taking you know, like there's a part of me that's like, you know, I felt very afraid to speak up and, you know, and to be really honest about what was happening in terms of like what I, you know, the conversations I was having with Rob from literally from like the beginning to like, you know, even to now, because I'm like, you know, I don't want to ruin my opportunities for other things. And like, and in some ways I might've, you know, I don't know, like, you know, it's just so like, for me, it's just like, but I knew that I couldn't be silent about it, but it's still a scary, painful thing to do. And like, but like hearing, you know, like being able to watch you guys still have fun and talk about these like very serious things and to want to engage in conversations and to be so respectful about it with me and with other people and to still offer support and to be clear about like, you know, that you still see me and you see other people like to me that feels it has helped me stay in love with the whole experience. So thank you. I so appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, I think that's what I love the most about the Bravo community because I think it's so connective and I cannot imagine your experiences being a Harvard trained psychologist and being, (laughs) (laughs) um, and being really proud of it. I really, Oh no, that's why I'm saying it so many times (laughs) with little link in my eye to make sure the (laughs) listeners don't forget. Um, but I think, uh, everything that you are bringing to the table and being a black woman and, um, being someone in this world with a voice and with a lot of power and gravitas and and uh, experiencing reality TV in a way where, you know, there's some potential, fr- not to put words in your mouth, but there might be some potential frustration about that experience and also about the way that you self-identify seemingly so well and so purely connected with your core that when you don't feel like that's being represented and it's being represented on such a large scale there's a little bit of a reckoning there so if if the bravo community in any way has been able to just reconnect us all regardless of um potential past on bravo tv shows let alone you know potential future on more then God bless. I think that's, that's incredible. And also like there have been times when myself as a viewer, as a podcaster, I've been really pissed. (laughs) Like when people say shit about me where I'm like, that is literally nowhere near connected to what I say or what I do where hopefully it's like really a conversation about accountability and responsibility right. and behaviors right. or whatever else. And it dovetails into this weird thing where the very core of my being is like liquid connectivity where I can't help but be myself. And mm-hmm. when I'm told that's, you know, flawed, fake, performative, whatever else, 
these are those are that's a difficult journey to go to go right. through because you have to decide right. for like the thousands of people listening who is the person I'm going to listen to most right. I have to push everybody else out at a certain point and acknowledge valid critiques and appreciate, you know, what feel like valid, real praises, but right. also isolate all of that. Because if I dovetail in either corner, I am no longer me. And that's a problem regardless of AG. Like that's a whole other territory. I think that's also the brilliance of Teresa no longer watching the show. Because I Yes! Think it's so protective. And I thought to myself, like, I probably should have done that at different points in the time, but it was like my first, this was my first rodeo with this kind of experience. I've been through a lot. I've gone through a lot of different things, mm. but I'm telling you, like, you know, at the end of it, I remember like somebody saying, well, Monica, you shouldn't care if people like you. And I'm like, I don't typically care if people like me. I just, Hey, I assume that people will like me because I'm pretty cool. Right. <laughs> so I think, but I'm like, I'm not, and I don't care if somebody doesn't like me. I don't care if I don't gel with people like that happens. I'm not used to, though, having like collectively a large group of people not like me at one point in time. And like, also knowing that, with. oh, say that again. <laughs> and the people that I'm living with not like me, I'm not used to that. And for reasons that have nothing to do, like at least from like from my mm -hmm. perspective still and now, like nothing to do with the reality of who I was. And, well, and also it's the experience of like them liking you is now a currency that can be traded in for a big check or a big celebrity, whatever, whatever, or a future vehicle or whatever else. It's like not as simple in, in, in an experience that's already incredibly complicated of just like genuine direct personal relationships with people right. where someone's likability is directly tied to, are you right. going to see it and succeed in your marriage and your right. friendship with this person in your work or God right. forbid, especially right. women specific, if you're not right. seen as likable, that right. can actually genuinely directly harm your career path and your goals. Right. Now you're on this grander scale where like, if your cast members don't like you, if the audience doesn't like you, that's going to affect potentially the perception the editing right. productions feeling about right. your future your right. feeling about how you now want to change how right. you see yourself and then how right. other people see you because right. listen guys you do have the ability to decide to change how you want to behave that is in fact one of the goals I would think of being a human person in this world right. and grappling with the friction and the the obstacles that may come in your path related to that. I mean, it's very complicated and you are a black woman. And as you right. said, a dark skinned black woman in this world and specifically in that country. And as a white woman, I can't imagine uh, the additional complications that can come with navigating how people are seeing, talking about you and feeling about you based on your race alone. I mean, that's and I'm saying based on like the first encounter of me, the fact that like I wasn't what they were expecting instead of just being like, who are you? And you're not what I'm expecting that the, the, to then turn me into their enemy. Like I had no control over that. To me, that's where like, I'm like, this shit is so racist that like from the outset, from my hello, now you've turned me into like your enemy, somebody who's out to get you. You've turned me into like the worst of bad guys just because you don't understand who I am. I don't make sense to you. You know, it's like, talk about like the Christian and the Amy Coopers, like, or how the way people have a call cops on like black people. It's like, there's like the, 
there is an analogy of like, you see this black woman that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to you if a black person sitting in a nice neighborhood. Like the other day I was in my building, in my lobby building, the building, the lobby of my building. And this delivery guy came in and started like telling me stuff to do. And I looked at him and I was like, I beg your pardon. He's like, well, you work here, right? And I'm oh like, my God. what in the, I was like, you know, and I was like, you are, and I just was like, you're racist as fuck. I, I don't have time for this, right? You know, and, um, and I was like, just because you're not used to seeing a black person in a nice building, don't make, you know, like, you know, I don't, I don't need to be burdened. I'm having a good day. I don't need to be burdened by your racism. Right. And that's the issue. And so it's like, I think for them, even though I'm sure none of this is intentional, none of this is conscious. I don't think anybody went in there like being like this black woman, you know, I think it's just for them. It didn't make sense to them. And collectively this was the solution. And that happened so often so much and that then starts to change the narrative and the problem is it's when people are not questioning that and also when you're not as I told you in my experience not like when I look back at the show like my I talked about my experience in real life I talked about it from day one I asked I begged for like my like for my experience as a black woman to be a part of this because it was mm -hmm. a part of the experience but it wasn't a part of the experience in my own words it was a part of the experience in this other stuff that was being told and being shown and being played and that's painful and but that matches real life so if i ever had the opportunity to be a voice on television again i hope that that would be done differently i hope that because the truth i can be very serious and very thoughtful i'm also i have i have a lot of fun and like i really truly am like people like one of people's favorites there you know like you know and like i love like being there i love people and it's just like it was so hard to see me because I didn't like fall into this mammy category where I was like, oh, man. you know, like, like taking care of them in the way that they thought that I should, or like, you know, like being deferential that all of a sudden now I'm this other stereotype. Like, it's like, why can't I just, why don't I get to be these other, like, why find out who I am before you just like decide that now I'm bad because I make you uncomfortable. Well, I feel like that's where some accountability comes in, because if it's not seen on the show, which, again, we've seen on Dallas, where it's like, we're not really getting a sense that these women are really getting it, or or we think that they are, but we know based on their IRL behavior on social media, they've doubled <laughs> down. Um, shout out Carrie with that snake necklace, which I still haven't forgotten, and um you know, I, I think it's not the responsibility. Well, I, I don't know that responsibility is the right. I would say it's the it is an opportunity for the Bravo community to have these conversations because, you know, Bravo is at the end of the day, they're a network, they're a business, they're a corporation. They have a very different uh, understanding of like success and also they have a very different investment and perspective of what it means to be a TV network versus mm -hmm. human people in this world who want to talk about these shows and understand them. And it's an, an experience for people like me to hear about your experiences and hear about the experiences of Tiffany and hear about the experiences of other women of color on these shows on Married to Medicine, which I hope yeah. you'll come back so we can unpack because holy shit. Um, <laughs> Jackie and Simone alone. I'm like, oh, Oh God, rub yeah. on my heart and stomp on it. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Right. And um, I didn't follow your Potomac stuff, but it sounds like Potomac had a real impact on you too. So I'm curious about that. Yeah, there was some offline chatter that I don't really love with uh, Candace. Uh, Candace, you're a hundred percent not listening, but um, <laughs> it, it was just like, it was people were weaponizing shame against each other when it came to even discussing Potomac, which was 
tough. That's why, like, I have, like, a little bit of a – I don't have literal PS, PTSD from Potomac, but I have, like, a little bit of, like, a, oh, we're never going to go back to that season just because it got real cray from both sides, from both both uh, uh, Team Monique, both Team Candace, and then I was squarely Team the Table because it was <laughs> tough to unpack, uh, in okay. the words of, of Monty Marcus. But – um. Yeah, I just feel like it's an opportunity for us to have these conversations and just listen to each other and learn something new about each other and in doing so, hopefully ourselves. So I'm so appreciative for you coming on. I do also have to say, small business satchels, you guys. We have this new segment. We gotta gotta hype some small businesses because- We have Satchels of Gold, which are segments on Andy's Girls. I didn't get to today. So, guys, I have a thousand satchels that I'm going to do on a Patreon special episode. But um, Satchels of Gold are listener thoughts and feels and questions, concerns, their own experiences watching Housewives. And we have small business satchels now to shout out our favorite local or international small businesses, places that we love, restaurants, bars. So I have a small business satchel. You have a small business satchel. And I have a listener small business business satchel okay. um so i would love to do you want to do yours first or you want to do yeah the so uh, yeah so Tell i me. would say that yeah so i you know i i have one that's like it's a black owned business black female owned business it's a makeup line called uoma so it's u-o-m-a and they make great great first of all their mascara is like in like oh i love a good mascara jesus they make amazing lip colors Mm -hmm. they have like really great makeup that is you know that they certainly make makeup that goes well with all like hues of darker skin but it's Mm -hmm. also makeup for every woman and they actually had a special come out with like um coming to america too um kind of overlaps with it yeah so some colors that are supposed to be like a tie into the movie so I just think it's really a phenomenal thing. I think it's amazing when you have these small makeup companies that are really committed to like developing good products, but I think it's even more special when it's um, black women that are doing it. And so this is a company, one of my friends, her sister works at this company and her sister was the creator of um, Onyx Box, which was like kind of like an early birch box wow. for black women and it was bought by another company. So like there was a box for women. So she basically was doing this like, I want to say almost 10 years ago. And now she's working for this company and she's amazing and she's beautiful. She's talented. So I love that. Uma Beauty. So yeah, you beauty. Perfect. And I'm going to put their info, uh, social media handle and their website in the show notes for this episode. So everybody can go check out and support them. And, um, you know, listen, we all know with all of these satchels that I read that like the single and easiest best way, follow somebody on social, tag them in an IG story. And if you're able to support them and buy some mascara and maybe send it to me, you can sell it anytime. Um, okay. I have a small business satchel from Maria in London who says my small business satchel would be Babur in Forest Hill, London. Amazing Indian food, a takeaway that feels classy and decadent. They are fancy schmancy. Oh, Maria knows what I love. And Uh, They're fancy schmancy, utterly delicious, and have amazing modern takes on classic Indian food. Plus, they deliver cocktails, 10 out of 10 for all lockdown. Birthdays, anniversaries are just a treat for getting through the day. And I will include Barbour's handle and info. Um, 
she said their handle has a pick of a tiger. Well, I am all in. Uh, and also just to say, speaking of amazing um, uh, food, Indian food in London, Kahani, K-A-H-A-N-I, I'll include their info as well, just a little bonus satchel because uh, when I went to London, had one of the meals of my life and I love <laughs> Indian food and in London. London oh my God, London, the Indian food in London is like, phenomenal and I need to do better about finding great places in New York City and I've lived here for 150 years so apologies (laughs) apologies in advance to New York but London is killing the game so um, I'll include uh, links to both and Maria thank you so much for that small business satchel and listen birthday's next week but because I'm getting the second dose of the vaccine the day before I'm probably gonna be a little fucked up (laughs) in the actual birthday itself so I'm planning to do a little birthday celebration so guys um, cheers me on March 27th. I'm a birthday twin of Vicki Gumbelson. So OGs oh, and always. Wow. Yes. Happy thank you so much. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Um, spiritually mid twenties plus. Thank yeah. you again for that. And um, so I will be extending my birthday from the 27th to two weeks following because I okay. do plan to get my hair cut and colored, which is something okay. I have done once since COVID began. And so my small business satchel goes to two small business owners who I love and adore, who have been transforming me through all chapters of my life since I was 19 years old. So for the past six or 10 plus years, depending on how we want to look at this. Oh, wait, not 10 plus. I'm a lot younger than that. Genuinely. Okay. Just math is hard because I'm in my late teens. I didn't think about that in my head. Just I'm ageless like Ramona. Um, but unlike Ramona, I have better hair. And I want to shout out Vu, who is the owner of his own small business, uh, Vu Hair. He's at his salon is at the top of the peninsula. I've been seeing him since he was a stylist at Frederick Fakai, since I was a sophomore in college and had just been dumped by my boyfriend. Shout out Nick. You know who you are, you know where you are. I hope your life is great, but you are dead to me. And I <laughs> Not really. Did you I'm sure it's a glasses back then, or did you wear pants back then? Oh, um, I was wearing Juicy Couture pink velour. I look like an Easter bunny every day. Shout out Judaism. It was a look. <laughs> I was great. I thought I was a shit because I had a pair of Chanel sunglasses. And I bought my first pair of Chanel shoes in college and wore them to musical theater class. And the head of the program told me I looked like a prostitute. And I said, thank you very much. You. <laughs> I love it. And I'm looking at those shoes right now and I fucking love them and I haven't worn them in a while. Um, But Vu is the absolute best. And I also have to shout out my hair colorist and um, uh, uh, part-time psychologist, maybe, because of how our sessions go. AJ Lorday at Frederic Fakai in Soho is incredible. Both are available, you guys, for consultations. So if you're in the New York area and you want to change your mood, your day, or talk about how you see yourself, I highly encourage an excellent haircut and an excellent balayage highlight. (laughs) And I want to thank both of them for dealing with me for the past genuinely 15 plus years. I just did the math in my head, but also spiritually six to eight. (laughs) for being so incredible and um, I miss them I miss the experience of 
having a little bit of rosé or some champs always on the house. That Thank amazing. you so much. Yes. And getting a little drunk and hanging out in a hair salon for a couple hours and living my best life and feeling like the fucking shit and planning a dinner or an event around getting a haircut or a blowout because I am that bitch. And so I can't wait for us to do that all again. And I'm going to see them two weeks following my second dose of Moderna. Very excited about that. So my small business satchel goes to um, Vu and AJ. I love you both. Um, Speaking of love, a shout out to all of the Women content creators who joined me in some social media this week where we celebrated all women content creators, not only the ones pictured and listed, but also the many, many others. You know, we came up with a list of like around 100 women content creators. Obviously, there are so, so many more that don't exist on their pages, but do exist in our community. And I want to shout out all of them. If you want to see the social media posts that we all came together to do, go to my Instagram at Dame Galley. And speaking of Instagram, I just posted a giveaway contest continuing Sarah's favorite things where we amplify our favorite small businesses in honor of my birthday because I am psychotic. And the newest giveaway is a giveaway where I teamed up with Christian Gray Snow, uh, Meraki and Naz, Pop Uncultured and Bravo and Cocktails for a bundle of Bravoholic merch, a hoodie, a mug, a hat, and a tank. And they're amazing and adorable. The giveaway is from now through Wednesday, March 24th at midnight. It's so easy to participate. More info in the show notes for this week's app and on my social at Dame Galley. Obviously free to enter. And these amazing priceless gifts can be all yours. Um, and shout out to Jesse from Maryland who won Dr. Tiffany Moon's six candles set. And I think Dr. Tiffany Moon is actually choosing a second winner because she is a generous candle queen and I love her for it. Um, Guys, so much to say. Bravo fight night this Sunday on Clubhouse. Join myself and Dylan Hafer as we unpack our favorite Bravo battles. Um, oh, my God. So much. Patreon.com slash Andy's Girls for additional bonus episodes. And the number one way to give me the ber- best birthday gift of all, your cash. Uh, Dr. Monica O'Neill, how can people follow you online and get more information and maybe book a session? Oh, well, booking a session. Or not, or not booking a session. In your hearts and minds, in your hearts and minds. Yes, listen, you know, despite like what people were trying to say about me on the show, I'm an excellent therapist and I am completely booked. So (laughs) I have never been like, you know, never been wanting for business. Um, So yeah, but you can find me on Instagram at at dr.monica. My, you can search for me, Google search for me, you know, Dr. Monica, Dr. Monica O'Neill, and I will pop up. So just follow me, you know, sometimes I go through, like I, 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 my, I have a psych in the city series where I talk about all things psychology. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fun. We have a good, I have a good time. You know, I talk about all different types of things, psychology, especially on like psychology, sex and dating, which I love, love, love to do. Um, and you know, and, and, you know, I just post as I feel like you just get to kind of see a bit of me and you get to see my weird dog. So I love a weird dog. I love a weird dog. dog. My dog always looks like something's going on with her. Like literally she's, you come in here, come here, buggy. Come say hi. Come on. Is her name buggy? No, her name is Eva, but I call her buggy. Like, oh, I love that. Come on, come here. Oh, I'm going to see the dog. I'm going to see a dog. How weird's the dog going to be? 
She looks like, oh, I posted a photo of her earlier because this morning she woke up expect. like eight plus eight. She just looks like she's like, oh, been she's so, she's, she has schnauzer kind of? No, she's, she's a shih tzu. I think she's a Yorkie poo. Like a poo. Oh like my poo. God, she's so cute. She is cute. She is very weird. She's a rescue. She um was a puppy mill dog, so she was used to breed. Oh. For the first like seven years Maybe. of her life, so I've had her for about almost two years now. So like you'll be eight in May. So yeah, she was an older dog. She has no front teeth. She's Aww. very scared, and she's very scared of everything. She's come a long way. She like didn't oh walk on a like she wouldn't let me touch her, and now she and like now she's a little puss. She's a little baby. She likes to like hold on. Well, thanks to her for sliding into our little guest co-host cameo love the bravo community including the bravo puppies so yeah. phenomenal and guys make sure to follow dr monica on clubhouse as well because yeah. we participated in some i don't even know what the fuck they're called rooms panels whatever the hell and you're incredible so you guys are great honestly you guys are so great it's just so entertaining thank god for you guys honestly seriously you guys have been like such a lifeline through this whole thing this whole pandemic you guys are just such a good community in comparison to some of the other communities like uh, uh, y'all have fun i'm all about it that's, I mean, listen, we're all about having fun here on AG and sliding in a little nuance there, just like, you know, Jessica Seinfeld does with like spinach and chocolate milkshakes or something where it's like, surprise the kids by throwing in some protos. That's what we're here all, that's what we're all about here on AG. Listen, I could talk to you all day and I think we have um, today. I'm so appreciative for your time. Guys, everybody stay safe if you're able to get the vax and do so. Um, Mazel tov. Congratulations to anybody who's looking for it and hasn't yet. Uh, fingers crossed that you'll get there soon. Brother. My brother. Yes, yeah, some news there. Jeffrey Benjamin, uh, my brother, who's a high-level quadriplegic, has not, according to Rhode Island, qualified to get the vaccine, which has been an interesting process and technically would still not have an appointment, except we were able to use a different route since uh, none of the congressmen or senators or our new governor, and I say are, even though I live in New York State, um, we're doing a fucking thing, um, including a congressman, by the way, who's also a quadriplegic. Um, but so we've been really going down the struggle path, uh, trying to get him access to the vaccine. He has an appointment this afternoon to get his first shot. So I'm very excited about that. So if everybody can send some healthy, positive vibes my family's way, I'm sure we would appreciate it. And um, shout out to all the caregivers, people like my parents and everybody else who are just going day by day right now. Sending you all my love. And guys, hang in there. Have a great week. Dr. Monica O'Neill, Harvard trained psychologist, as I say every 30 seconds. So thrilled to have you. Can't wait to have you hopefully come back on AG. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Would be a gift. Guys, have a great rest of your whatever, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.